0: Welcome back to the long journey. Uh, I am your solo host this evening, John Long and uh, my counterpart Mary Audrey is actually at a uh, softball game this afternoon and I'm holding down the fort here. So unfortunately you just got me and uh, but we're going to make the best of it. Uh, I hope everybody has had a great week. Uh, Turkey season here in Mississippi rolls right on along, and uh, it's really coming to a, to an end here uh, in the next couple of weeks. And um, it's been a great uh, a great unusual season. I'll get to that in a minute and try to explain it. As far as from my perspective, uh, we've we'll been talking a little bit about that uh, this afternoon, but. A majority of what we're going to be talking about is how i approach turkey hunting on public land now let me say this i am no expert um I can give you a little background when i started turkey hunting back in the 1970s late 70s early 80s um, a lot of our hunting was done on private land we had access to a lot of private land and any of these of you out there that hunted back during those times you'll know that uh, people didn't mind you hunting on their property at least where we hunt in the southeast uh, you pretty much could hunt anywhere you wanted to and um, and it was just a kind of a open gate policy uh, They everybody respected the land and then with the invention of the three-wheeler I think it kind of ruined a lot of that hunting for us I, I've talked to several people that agree with that and people were leaving gates open and you know access places with uh ATVs and and things like that and just not respecting the land and and landowners got fed up with it said nope and then you had uh you know people wanting to come in and lease the land here's we'll give you a certain amount of money and we'll uh you know you can lease our property and you know, they were making a profit off of it, um, so, you know, and, and keeping a lot of people off of it, so, but anyway, uh, my introduction of public, land, public land hunting came out of a, out of a, uh, really, uh, a need, uh, for more places to hunt, and from that, you know, that's you, you're you're walking into an entirely different ball game and that's where we're going to really be talking about this this evening but um one of the things that i think we need to address right up front i think and it's always a topic of discussion is that uh, public land hunting is different than private land hunting that is answered with in, and again, all of this, what I'm talking about, is my opinion, my approach. You may have other opinions. Please feel free to, you know, drop them in, in the comment section. But this is from my experience. Okay, so the question is, or the statement is, public land hunting is different than private land hunting. Absolutely, yes, it is different. You in a private land situation, you pretty much have a limited amount of of people that can are legally supposed to be there. Public land, everybody that has the proper license, proper permits has a right to be there. That being said, yes, it is different. Are the animals different? Personally, I would say no. Deer are deer. Turkeys are turkeys, ducks are ducks, et cetera, et cetera. Those animals, when exposed to certain pressure, react the way that they're supposed to. Let me expound on that just a little bit. Private land turkeys that are pressured, whether you're in a a club or whether it's on a 40-acre block that you yourself are the only ones hunting there, if you pressure them hard enough they will react and that's what happens public land turkeys for where i hunt they get hunted you know from basically well if you count youth season the first of march to the end of all the way to the end of may and almost without a doubt every day is is hunting in that particular area so a lot of the turkeys respond as they would as i said on private land or public land doesn't really matter the pressure is what really changes the ball game we are considerably a small part of that animal's life within a given season whether it be deer season or turkey season or whatever something is trying to eat them year round. And they respond to that. They respond to situations. So we really are such a small part of their lives. And that um, reaction to that pressure is basically a small part of their lives with us being in the woods. But it is a, a critical factor when you're out there trying to pursue this game, whatever it be. So with that being said, how do you approach those types of hunting situations? Well, since we're in the spring, I'm going to take just maybe, and I I may touch on on deer too, but since we're in the spring turkey season at the time of this recording, I'll probably talk a little bit about how I have seen throughout the years uh, birds react. Let me say this, first and foremost. I have never seen season to season be exactly the same. And if I had uh, someone here that had done the same, I'm sure they would agree with me. I've never seen two hunting seasons that were exactly the same. I've seen some similarities, but I've never seen two seasons being the same. There's always something different because of the fact that there's weather factors that that come into play. There's the amount of pressure that's put on, on animals that also comes into play. How much game is harvested? Actually, harvested comes into play as well. So, no two seasons are the same. It's absolutely it's it's you know you may have stellar seasons back to back, but we're talking about each season it has its own difficulties, has its own celebrations and its you know triumphs and all that. But, no two seasons are the same. So how do you approach that from a public land hunting situation or from any situation for that? But because I hunt 99% of the time on public land, I'm here to tell you uh, the way I approach that and how that relates to, and how I relate my style of hunting to pressure. So I think we've talked about in, in, uh, maybe a previous episode, my normal scouting routine, and I'll just of course I'm scouting nonstop. If I'm in the woods turkey hunting, I'm scouting for deer. If I'm in the woods deer hunting, I'm scouting for turkeys. So it's <clears throat> it's never ending. It's a never ending cycle. So but for turkeys in particular, I'll start normally getting up and start listening every morning around right after the Monday basically, is the way I look at it. The Monday after Valentine's Day or somewhere in there, uh, that Valentine's Day weekend is when I'll start listening. And I usually listen every morning until the season starts. So hopefully by that time, I've got several birds located and have a general idea of what their uh, behavior is, how much they're gobbling where they're gobbling from, if I'm actually fortunate enough to hear them on the ground, I will I can, you know, catalog that as well. So by doing that, I've established where certain birds are. And I had a guy came up to me, I think this was a couple of years ago, in Mossy Oak, and he said, uh, I'm going to hook up with you because I know that you know where the birds are. And my immediate response was yeah me and 60 other people so just because you know where birds are doesn't mean that's a sure thing either but it is in my opinion critical as far as setting up a game plan when you when you're hunting on on public land you need to have that information if you can't get that information or if that information is hindered such as this year by some very bad weather that we've had, Just it seems, repeatedly throughout preseason and season long. And by bad weather, I mean what, what gets to me is that these these um, ups and downs in temperature and rain and then cold weather. And let me tell you, you can say all you want to about the breeding going to happen anyway. Yes, it will. But that kind of stuff affects gobbling. That's just my personal observation. You can almost, I'm out there every day. I'm listening and I have seen it time and time again. If you have uh, some disruptive behavior in the weather after we've had like consistently, you know, my, I mean, they didn't even have to be good weather, but if you've got something that abruptly changes you, you're, you're sitting there at 60 degrees for, you know, two weeks or whatever, and all of a sudden you get a dive bomb into the 30s with cold rain, you better believe that's going to affect animal behavior and in particular goblin behavior. Yes, they're going to breed, but the way that they get out there and the way they conduct their business is totally different. So the birds are located, the animals are located, preseason, okay, opening day comes now you've got all this pressure in the woods and i can i can almost say a lot of the time it's the same type of behavior when hunting is conducted you have a lot of access roads people will park on those access roads they will walk down those access roads and what are they going to do 99% of the time, they're going to do what I call trolling. They're going to walk down those roads, and they're going to call about every 100 yards. Why? Because that's the way we've been taught. Does it work? Yes, it's effective. Does it work all the time? No. But when you get in a pattern of, I get on this road, I walk down this road, I call every 100 yards, and guess what? You're going to be successful sometimes. But a lot of times you're going to be busting birds. And I'm talking about busting birds that you don't even know about. Yeah, you'll you'll walk up on some. I walked up on one the other day. Didn't have a clue the bird was there. But, and busted the bird. Does that mean the game's over with? No. But that bird is educated. That bird knows to stay away from that area. Especially when it's repeated time and time again. So how do you break that cycle? Here's what I do. I do not call to a bird nor do I troll very much anymore. I used to do it on on private land, you know, not heavily pressured private land, and was successful striking birds, you know. And I'm not saying I haven't done it on on public, but it's a rarity. What I do is is I do not call to a bird until I hear that bird and I am on that bird. Until I sit down on that bird, I am not calling to a bird. Other thing I won't do, locator calls. If you have been in the woods on a spring morning, there is no need to have a locator call in your in your pocket, in my opinion. You may want a crow call in your pocket for for midday, after the crows die down. But most of the time, owls, crows, hawks, you name it, will be you know vocalizing throughout the day. So I don't do that. I do not call to a bird until I I feel like I'm in a reasonable position to set up and and to have an interaction with that bird. Notice I didn't say call up. What it is is establishing, when you call to a bird, that's establishing communication. Then you've got to figure out how to get in that bird's zone where that bird wants to go. Because I don't care what you say. You're not making a bird, you're not making a gobbler do anything he doesn't want to do. He he is going to do his thing. 365 days out of the year, he's flying up in the morning. He's flying down. Uh, I mean, he's flying Down in the morning, he's walking around in the woods during the day, and he flies up uh, to roost at night. He does that year-round. What you want to do is figure out a game plan that is as least intrusive into what his normal routine is to where you can get in a position to kill him. So, walking down through the woods, squawking on a box call from – seven o'clock in the morning till 8.30 and then you leave the woods is not the way to do that. To effectively kill turkeys, you have to have a non-intrusive game plan because of the fact of how much intrusion they have before that. I've seen it. I've seen folks, you know, walk through the woods with decoys practically on their head you know, things like that, you have to come up with a game plan that is different than what everybody else is doing. Don't use the same calls. You don't have to call all that much. But what you have to do is to find the bird. That's that's rule number one. And then figure out how to do it. The more you go out and try to call to a bird, the more that bird is going to become more suspicious. And you'll say, oh, well, they're calling year round. Yeah, they are. But when you're calling from the same location, and that, and you be, believe me, I I firmly believe that they know when somebody's in the woods. I mean, they they're in the trees. They hear all this activity. It doesn't take long for them to figure out there's a part. <laughs> they're not they're not uh, actually saying this in their brain because they don't have that bigger brain, but to say. You know to hear gravel popping truck door closing somebody walks down the road calls a little bit i get busted once guess what that's a danger to me just as much as it would be uh, a coyote walking through you know a strut zone or whatever so keep that in mind you have to kind of you have to be really gentle now when you establish and figure out if a bird's hot or not and i've, and I've seen this before on public land late April during our season. People say, oh, well, birds don't gobble all that much late season. You have to find the right bird because I've called up, I've killed birds that were gobbling their heads off after you think there is no way. They're, they have been pressured so much. They're not, I haven't heard, in, heard a bird. The fact of the matter is, is you can't kill them on the couch. And I know that's a that's a big. Um, I don't know what you what do you call it. A uh, I don't know. I need I need my partner here to to help me with that. But it's a cliche, I guess you could say, or a common statement. You have to be in the woods to know what they're doing, and and that's that's the only way that you're going to be out there. But to go out there just randomly calling through the woods, I think you're asking for more damage than than you know production but again that's been my experience once you find something and this is another thing too it is hard to get hung up on a bird i've done it um more times than i than i really care to admit but when you get on a a goblin turkey and Time and time again, morning after morning, he is doing the same thing or not doing the same thing, but at least gobbling enough to keep you interested and you are having difficulty with him. And I have spent days on days trying to kill, you know, birds. And more times than not, I'm not saying it can't be done. And let me say this. Most of the time, if I can find a bird that is gobbling late season, that's key, late season, I tend to hang more with that bird than I would be if it was early season and I was hearing some goblin and then, you know, then trying to stay there all, you know, for a month on end. I'm not going to do that. I've wasted a lot of season time on a bird that was not ready to to kill where I could have been finding a bird that was a lot more responsive and a lot more um you know, so to say three day, three consecutive days, that's a lot, early season, maybe a week, late season, I can see that, especially if you're not finding birds in other areas, so, you know, I've seen people get possessive of a bird, and that's fine, you know, I'm not going to try to go in there and kill you bird, but What I'm trying to say is is don't waste your whole season on one bird because if you really want to get out there and kill a bird, get out there and find one that's that's ready to to die because that's all it really takes. Um, Finding a bird or, or fooling around with a bird that gobbles good on the roost and then hits the ground and maybe gobbles twice within three hours, you need to move on. Come back. Your chances of killing that bird are really not all that good, and somebody else's is not really all that good either, unless they get really lucky. But you need to move on to, to greener pastures and try to find a hotter bird, and then come back to that one when, when it's a better time. So that's just some of the things uh, that I think that I've experienced. Like I said, this is of my opinion only but uh, just some things that, and the way I approach hunting on public land or hunting uh, turkeys in general. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, It's been kind of lonely in the podcast studio tonight, but uh, I think this may even be my my first uh, solo podcast, but I've enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot. Hope to do some more in the future. So if you're interested in a long journey, please like, and subscribe. We're on, uh, YouTube and Facebook. We're, we're supposed to be on Instagram and Twitter, but I'm just really not all that good about that. I'm more, I'm better on Facebook and, and, um, yeah, Facebook and YouTube. That's, that's basically my extent, but I've enjoyed, uh, talking to you tonight. And I hope you again have learned something. Uh, thanks to all those people that, that we, uh, enjoy using their products. And uh, uh, Martin Mouth Calls, Moe's Mops and Socks, um, Barry Riker, Outlaw Outdoors, uh, and um, all the others that we enjoy using that I I can't think of right now. (laughs) I need my list. I'm I'm lost without my partner here. But anyway, uh, thank y'all for listening, and please join us next week for another episode of the Long Journey.